Yeah, it's sports talk from the three bros. Something you can bet on like Pete Rose. And you better not miss it like some free throws. Giving taste is more accurate than Drew Brees throws. And it might get explosive like some C4. We just giving you a look inside the peephole. So if you got a weak take, you better keep those. And get your cheeks swole when you step into the ring with the Ami Bros. And, and, and we're back, back, back. And we're back. The Ami Bros Podcast back to you guys for another week. Hope all your listeners out there are feeling good. My name is Damon. I'm one-third of the Amibros. I have to the right of me my uh, older of the younger brother, Jared Man 85 And I also have to the like left of me. To the left. I know. It was kind of weird, right? <laughs> left of me of is uh, Jeremy. The older. Yeah, but it makes sense, though. If you it know, does, you know, it makes you know. sense. Let my boy you know? push you, sir. You know? <laughs> JDZ, how you feeling, brother? Uh, I am JDZ, and these are the Temptations. <clears throat> Who you think you try to come in like an R and B thing? <laughs> like the old nineties. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I went David Ruffin on y'all for the second. <laughs> well, fellas, how y'all feeling, man? Y'all had a good week so far. What's going on with y'all fellas? Man, I'm doing good. Uh, you know. First week of the uh the blooper bowl. Uh coming here to Atlanta live. We got a lot of uh, a lot of I would say a lot of Rams fans, but they're not a lot of Rams fans here. Uh so it's a lot of Patriots fans, which makes it terrible because they're so obnoxious because they're in this game every year. So uh Besides that, man, right. it's, it's been a good week. I'm, I'm I'm excited to see the games and uh and hang out. That's what's up, man. Jeremy, how you feeling down there, man? Yeah, I am. Uh, needless to say, not so excited about this Super Bowl. Uh, I call it the Fraud Bowl, uh, 2019. Oh, so overall, I am doing okay. I'm coping. Um, a little counseling, <laughs> but you know, I'll be fine. But that's. <laughs> And then he COVID about his parents, his Saints lost. Keep in mind, though, no, Jeremy, Jeremy's not, you know, in in Atlanta right now. But there are have been billboards floating around the city uh, with different quotes from angry Saints fans. So um, yeah. you're you're not alone, and and you feel like alive. you've been betrayed. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyway, fellas, I'm excited about the show today. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about the Super Bowl being here in Atlanta this week. Very excited about that. We're looking forward to. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to hearing your previews on that, as well as you know some trade talks coming up for the NBA. Uh, it's going to be a lot of changes going on, so I'm excited to get get into all that. Um, but let's start with um, obviously the topic of the week, which is the Super Bowl. It's been a great year so far. We have two. You know, Jeremy probably disagree with me. But we have two of you know top tier teams that to 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 meet in the finals. So I'm excited about that. Uh, let's start with you, Jerry. Who do you feel like is going to come out on top, and what do you what do you think is going to take for that team to win the big game this weekend? Man, everything in me says to pick the Patriots. Um, everything says pick the Patriots. They've been here before. You know what they're going to do. And the biggest weaknesses of the actual Rams are is their the back half of their secondary, and their strength is getting a pass rush, which the Patriots haven't given up a sack all playoffs. So there's a huge thing that's telling me to pick the Patriots. But I'm going with the Rams. I'm going to tell you why I'm picking the Rams to win the Super Bowl. There's a couple reasons. First off, I got a feeling Aaron Donald is going to be able to get a ton of pressure still. Because even if you're looking at the way that that the New England pressures, they are best at being able to protect Tom Brady from an outside pass rush. Um, I think they're going to have some troubles trying to go uh, against Aaron Donald. I think he'll be able to get some pressure on Tom Brady. And the thing he he doesn't do um, well, the the only thing he really doesn't do well is 
play when he's got pressure coming in his face. Um, other parts of it that I think are going to be leaning towards the Rams' favor, um, I think they they have enough weapons in the secondary, enough speed. I know it's secondary. I'm sorry, in the uh, in the wide receiver core to be able to, to give some problems. And when you look at their secondary, Akeem Talib was on that that Broncos team that that beat the Patriots back to back years in the AFC Championship game. He's seen that that scheme so much. Um, you got uh, Marcus Peters, who who's faced the, the Patriots four or five times when he was in the AFC playing for the Chiefs. So I think you got a, an experienced group of quarterbacks that knows what Tom Brady wants to do best. Um, although Peters hasn't had a great season, still super talented. And Akeem Talib, people don't realize when he's on the field this year, uh, they have you – know, when he's off the field, they, I think they've given up 31 passing touchdowns and like five interceptions. He's on the field, it's like – eight passing touchdowns to like 11 interceptions. He really changes around the way that secondary looks. And the last thing I'll say about it is usually teams that get a break like this end up winning. Uh, you look at the Patriots with uh, the tuck rule game, end up winning the Super Bowl. You look at the Rams the year before that or two years before that when Bert Emanuel should have been a catch for, versus Tampa Bay, controversial call, reason why they brought replay back, Rams win the Super Bowl. You look at – I, I could name at least – 10 of those games where there's something that happens. Even if you go to uh, Deflate Gate, Tom Brady knows when. You go to uh, Ray Lewis's last year where he tested, I don't know if he tested positive or he had some strands of like some horse. There was some, I don't know what it was. He had like some horse steroid thing that, that came out and uh, it was kind of a controversy and then he wins it. So my thought is whenever you have a team that has a lucky break or some fortunate bounce, they usually win. So I'm going to go with uh, the Rams to pull it off. That is, Jim, what I, you I was say about say, that? you know, I was going to say that was some kind of astute points that you made, but I could not disagree with every point you made any more than I could possibly do agree with those. So let's just start with your outright nonsense about the place you attacked the Patriots is in interior line. That's pure nonsense. Let me give you uh, the interior line for the Patriots. Shaq Mason. Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the best guard in football. He is one lineman that the Patriots actually have paid and not let walk out the door. Dude is absolute beast. He's the right guard. Joe Tooney on the other side of the field. Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the eighth best guard in football. So, interior line. Uh, also, Andrews as a center. Great center. I didn't even look up to see what he's ranked up. Pro Football Focus or any other rating. But he's a great center. So, the way that the Patriots have protected Tom Brady this year has actually been from inside. The way you attack the Patriots right now is from outside, and I do not trust uh, – what's my boy's name from the Jaguars? I can't even think of his name. Uh, they got traded over. I don't expect them to really get any pressure because Tom Brady doesn't hold on to the ball. Dante what Fowler. Is Bill Belichick – yeah, what is Bill Belichick known to do? So I'm going to give you a few pass rushers that Bill Belichick is going against. In the last, I think, three seasons in the playoffs, uh, he's going against J.J. Watt. He has gone against – this is his last two games. He went against uh, Melvin Ingram. He went against Joey Bosa. He went against Chris Jones. He went against Justin Houston. He went against uh, D. Ford. All those guys combined to have zero sacks and two quarterback hits. Overall, what you're going to see from the Patriots is they're going to come up with a great game plan. One thing I will say about the Saints that they didn't do well against the Rams – was they didn't continue to go with an up-tempo, no-huddle offense. The Rams were out of sorts whenever they were doing that. They were still trying to communicate late. They still have, even though they're running a lot more simple scheme, 
they don't communicate very, very well. So a lot of times that's how they get out of situations. Why do you think that pass interference that wasn't a pass interference that should have been a pass interference happened? Because the Saints made a couple last-second adjustments. The guy, Courtney, uh, Roby Coleman, whatever his name is, was out of position, and he panicked and had to hit the guy. I think you're going to see Tom Brady absolutely destroy the Rams' defense from a scheme perspective because you give Tom Brady and Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for somebody, it's going to be very ugly. Now, from the other side of the ball, why is this game going to be a blowout in the Patriots' favor? So, you've got the Rams who run only out of three sets the entire season, a league low. And what are you going to have from the Patriots? The most complex defense Jared Goff has probably ever seen. What we see from Jared Goff and Sean McVay is Jared Goff gets up to the line very, very quickly. Sean McVay looks at the defense and gives him his call of what he should be running out of that set. With 15 seconds left on this play clock, the communication between the quarterback and coach is cut off. What do you think Bill Belichick is going to do? He's going to show them an early look. And then with 15 seconds left, when Sean McVay can no longer tell him what to do, Bill Belichick is just going to switch up when he's running. And all of a sudden, they're going to go into a different look, and Jared Goff is going to be standing there looking like, oh, man, what's going on? Oh, you mean Todd Gurley's not healthy and he can't really run the ball like he used to do early in the season, and I'm going to have to actually try to pick somebody apart? Oh, and let me not forget, they probably have the best secondary in football, and they're going to be able to match up press man against all these corners across the board and I'm gonna have to throw some pass into tight windows and because they're so disciplined all these fake gadget speed sweeps aren't gonna work and people are gonna be standing right there waiting for them I see this game being very very ugly I think this game is really gonna show people why the Rams should have been in the playoffs or it should have been in the Super Bowl anyway not that I think that the, the Rams are, you know, so much less of a team than the Saints because, honestly, I thought they actually outplayed the Saints. I just think they're a much worse matchup for the Patriots, mainly because Jared Goff is so inexperienced and an inexperienced quarterback going against Bill Belichick is what we like to call toast. So this game score, I am going to say, will be 41-17 to 17 Patriots, and I don't anticipate it being competitive. Man, that, that oh, both of you guys made great points. I definitely feel like Jeremy's coming from a per, a, a place of um, a little bit of hurt. Yeah, he's salty. <laughs> oh. With that being said, let's start with Jeremy. Do you think it's time for the Saints to keep complaining and kind of get over it and keep and, you know keep it pushing, or do you think you guys should get over it? Or what? How? What? How? <laughs> I th- I think I think the Saints fans have until after the Super Bowl. They can get over it after the Super Bowl. We should continue on. I've gotten over it. All this lawsuits and all that stuff. Even though the lawsuit, the federal, uh, the lawsuit did is going to federal court now to replay that game. Even though it's not going to happen, I'm surprised it didn't just get automatically thrown out. But uh, I think that the Saints fans have until after the Super Bowl to complain about this. One of the reasons why is we just knew we were going to the Super Bowl. People already had stuff down there. So if you're already going to Atlanta and you're sitting there, and your team should have been there, but the NFL screwed it over. It's your time to go down there and let them know about it. I cannot wait until tomorrow. Uh, this podcast will probably already be out by then, but Wednesday when uh, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, has to answer questions at the podium and he can no longer hide behind just not making a statement, and there's going to be 47,000 questions asked to him. I'm going to tell you this. The NFL completely screwed this over. You had four officials from L.A. out of the five who were officiating this game. You had... 
two of the most egregious mispassing interference calls I've ever seen in my life, all in the fourth quarter against the Saints. And you have a team that shouldn't be there in the Rams. Overall, I think they have the right to continue complaining, but it's not. Jeremy, you just said you were over it. Doesn't matter. You just said you were over it, and then you (laughs) went into some soliloquy about how the refs are from. I'm, I'm saying. LA, yeah, SoCal, and they I'm not, I'm not, were somehow I'm not impartial to win the Super Bowl this year. I'm not I'm not over us not winning the Super Bowl year. I might this year. I might not ever be over that. What I am saying is I am over fighting the fight as if that's gonna change anything. It's completely over. I will say this though. And this Jeremy, is can I ask you a side, question? Probably, yeah, sure. Did you cry? I mean if you did, it's fine. <laughs> no. no, I didn't. I was completely but I will say this. And I'm going to take this to a different level. I'm going to make it a much more serious note, and then we'll go back to having this conversation because obviously everybody's having fun. Well, what's going on? I will say this. For Saints fans out there who don't necessarily find yourself on this end of the equation, I will say this. I want you to remember this moment, and this is why. Because when tragedies and things like that happen in this country, be it a Trayvon Martin gets killed or – Let's say, you know, somebody is sexually assaulted or whatever. Generally, what ends up happening is people come up with excuses to say, you should have done this. You shouldn't have had a hoodie on. You could have done this. You should have listened down to the officer. You should have not worn that outfit out in public. Different things like that as to be a reason of why this should have happened to you. And you're experiencing this now from a different perspective in a much less serious note. You have a lot of people going, well, the Saints defense had an opportunity to stop them. Or they missed something on the other end. Or, hey, you guys got the ball first in overtime. And instead of actually acknowledging that you were completely screwed over, everyone's looking at an excuse to blame the Saints for losing the game. I just want to bring attention to maybe just the 50,000 Saints fans who generally find yourself blaming people for things happening. Remember this moment because maybe you can draw back to it whenever – Something else happens in this world. What? How? What? How? Okay. Kind of random aside, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That so. was one of the uh, worst rants I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, with that being said, should they get over it? Of course they should get over it. There's, look, look, at this point, like, it's, yes, the billboards are funny. I mean, I'm here. They they got one that says, "Who that say they gonna cheat them uh, Saints?" Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, there there's some funny ones. I mean, we're we're out here, and I'm like, okay, you guys are uh, you guys are pretty clever. But let's be a hundred percent honest. You're not gonna like nothing's gonna change by this. Like, there's not gonna be something that happens where at the end of the day you're gonna look at it and say, "Oh, you know what? Now I feel better about it." You know what's gonna make you feel better about it? Nothing. There's nothing that can make you feel better about it. So um, at the end of the day, I would tell you guys, get over it. Keep your head up, as uh, <laughs> as one Tupac said. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of what it is what it is, man. I mean, you, you get to a point where you got to realize, like, hey, you got no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Uh, I saw, uh, you know, what's your boy's but, name? But I, uh, I want to throw one, one more thing out to you, Jared. I will say this. The one thing we do have working in our favor and why we continue to push it it's because I want the next time an official comes into New Orleans, I want him to be absolutely terrified that this backlash might come at him and that they better throw a penalty when it comes to the Saints. That's what we're that's what we have working right now. It's not only, hey, 
you know, Why? are we going to get back I, in? So, so you want you guys want to intimidate referees? Yeah, we want payback. Yes, yes, we do. We want to make up. We want to make up calls. We want things to come back to us that we should have got with the Super Bowl here. Hey, um, hey, Damon, I got a question now for you. Um, remind me because you know I forget things from time to time. You know, right. kind of get kind of forgetful. Um, do you remember the uh, Saint Steelers game? Um, it was like two weeks, two three weeks before the season ended. Mm, and yeah, uh, yeah, I do remember that game. Do you remember Alvin Kamara, fourth down? Um, he's in the end zone, barely gets touched. They call a pass interference call on an incompletion. Gives the Saints the ball on the one-yard line. They score a touchdown and win the game by, I think it was three points. And I don't remember being cut and dry play like that, but I do remember. Yeah, when they down, down the clock out and then the play you're talking about happened in the first quarter? Yeah, okay, cool. No, but but here, here's the deal, though, right? It was, it was a huge momentum swing, right? We can't even deny that. So I'm not telling you they would have won the game. I'm telling you. If you were a Steelers fan and you missed the playoffs by half a game, if you win that game, you're in this you're in the playoffs. Yeah. I didn't see I didn't see Steeler fans in Baltimore putting up billboards. I didn't see Steeler fans what, here in Atlanta. Were they one up. game away from the Super Bowl? At the end of the day, they were one game away from being in the playoffs and giving themselves a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So here's what I'm telling you. Does it suck? Yes, it does. It's terrible. I thought it was an awful, awful decision to to allow that to happen. But look, man, y'all in New Orleans. I mean, now I'm not telling you New Orleans is better than LA, but you're living good if most of you guys are in New Orleans. Go to Harris. Go go get yourself a, a daiquiri from the walk up daiquiri <laughs> shop outside. Go to Harris. Put money on the Patriots if you want to. You'll lose it. But hey, Harris doesn't have a sports book in uh, New Orleans, buddy. I forgot. Go ahead. Uh, I, they, they haven't added one yet. They should have. Anyway, no. go. Look, you guys are black and gold. Go to the to, to the roulette table. Put fifteen hundred on black. See what happens. Either your night's gonna be even better, or it's gonna be terrible. But what? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Cause you know what? It's Rams Patriots. All right, fellas. Very Jim, very Jim, good points on those. Jim, one, you got one last point. One la- yeah, one last point. I will say this: the point of you making the Steelers argument is like me saying. Well, you were complaining about the LeBron call, but you didn't even say anything about Lonzo getting a bat, uh, getting a BS foul call on uh, on Russell Westbrook a couple nights ago, giving him three free throws going to overtime. Does a regular season game really have the same impact as a playoff game? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And speaking of speaking of NBA, great transition to our next topic, Jeremy. I appreciate that. <laughs> Is AD going to the Lakers to play with my boy LeBron? Like, what's going on, you you Laker fans? You too. Let's start with Jared on this. Let, let me let me start with this. Oh, you gonna start with Jared? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jared. Jeremy, I mean, if you if you, if you Jared, feel passionate, go ahead. Yeah, go go. Yeah, by, yeah. By all means. I, I'm I'm very I'm very passionate about this. I am a long term Lakers fan. I did not just become a Lakers fan. And I want to start with this. I do not want Anthony Davis on our team. I I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Let me make sure I'm as close to the microphone as possible, so you guys definitely hear me. I do not want Anthony Davis on the Lakers. The reason why is you have to trade for Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is not worth all the trade assets that you're going to have to give up to get him. Anthony Davis is better defensive Kevin Love 2.0. That is what Anthony Davis is. Let me give you his teammate. So he's playing with Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is averaging 22 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds on 48% shooting. Julius Randle is averaging 20 points per game, 9 rebounds, on 54% shooting. Uh, Miritich, averaging 17 points per game, 
eight rebounds on 45% shooting. Alfred Payton is averaging 10 points, six assists on 44% shooting. That is the rest of the starting five. They're on pace for 36 wins this season. In perspective, Julius Randle, when playing with Brandon Ingram last year, had a better win percentage than when he played with Anthony Davis this year. Anthony Davis is not a winner. If you want to look at it from a perspective, he is Carmelo Anthony. If you look at his first five years in the, in New Orleans, their record is one game worse than Carmelo's stint in New York. What I'm seeing from Anthony Davis is a lot of people are going, oh, man, look at his PER. Look at how he can score in all these different ways. But you know what? His teams don't win, and I'm not buying into that. I'm not giving up an entire team for Anthony Davis. The Lakers need to sign Kyrie Irving, Klay Thompson, Kimball Walker, whoever they need to sign. You need to sign them, pick up LeBron, and keep the young talent they got around. LeBron does not have very much time left, and the last thing I want to be stuck with is an Anthony Davis without any other stars winning us 27 games over the course of the next 35 years. This is why Anthony Davis does not need to come to L.A. Anthony Davis needs to stay in New Orleans where he is. All right. 85, what do you got to say about that? So, Jeremy – that might have been the dumbest statement I've ever heard. First off, this is the same guy, Jeremy, who said at the beginning of the season, I don't want the Lakers to sign Paul George. Even if they have to give up nothing, I don't want him to sign him because he's going to take away minutes from Brandon Ingram. And Paul George right now is in the midst of a very solid MVP campaign. As much as James Harden is electrifying on the court, his number is going to come down some with Chris Paul just getting back yesterday. And Paul George is the second leading scorer in the league. And he's by far the best defender in the league this year. So when you look at the disparity between James Harden defensively and Paul George defensively, I think he's got a decent shot. But even if he finishes second, third, whatever, Paul George, Jeremy didn't want to want to sign him. So Jeremy's thought process as far as how good the Lakers core is, I think is very skewed. I think another part of this, the actual team, or the players that the Pelicans allegedly want, don't include Brandon Ingram. What they want, which I think would be somewhat reasonable, is Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, uh, Zubak, who's been playing really well lately, and a first-round pick. Look, if I got to give up that, and, and they probably have to give KCP to kind of make the contracts work, and they probably get somebody else back. But in reality, if I can get Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Brandon Ingram, I may sign a mellow just to bring in an extra body as far as somebody that could give me some minutes. I still got Tyson Chandler. I still got JaVel McGee in there in the, in the post. I, I, There's not a lot that I need. And then you know what's going to happen if you get Anthony Davis and LeBron? At the trade deadline, all these people that just got traded are going to buy out their contracts, and then you're going to fill your roster with some veteran players who are trying to win a title and don't want to go to Golden State. So, and then after that fact, in the offseason, you sign Kyrie. You sign Clay Thompson. You sign somebody else. You're in the asset accumulation business. Last thing I'll say about this, which I think is is crazy talk. You talked about how the players are playing. Oh, Efer Payton and and Mears, those guys have missed. Efer Payton was there the first two weeks of the season. They got they were they were second in the West Western Conference, and then he got hurt. So that was the starting point guard. And well, then, so the first six games they were second in the Western Conference. That is amazing. I'm so, I'm so glad they were able to keep up that level they, of play. They were I want to say six and one when he got hurt. Then Miritich gets hurt. So both his start his, his second his second leading scorer. And uh, and your your starting point guard. So Drew Holiday is good, but is Drew Holiday? If you're you're ranking the, the second leading scorer, because Mirchich is the fourth leading scorer. 
He is this year. Last year, if you look at down the stretch, Miritich was averaging over 20 points a game. So Miritich is a huge weapon for them. And if you look at Drew Holiday, is he a, is he a good player? Yes, he's a good player. But if you start going through the Western Conference teams, he's a, he's an average number two player on a Western Conference team. Like, you start going through the, the, the teams you're facing. Let's go through. Not, he's not better than Chris Paul. He definitely ain't better than KD. Yeah, he is. He's not better than Chris Paul. Shut your mouth. All right, that, Drew Holiday better than Chris Paul. Yeah, right. What, what is Chris Paul well, better? Chairman, if you don't. What is Chris Jeremy. Paul this year? Like, Chris Paul is not yeah. good anymore. Y'all, y'all got to understand this. What has Chris Paul done in the last year? He played pretty well last year, but this year, what has Chris Paul done? He's been injured pretty much. What are you talking about? Okay, so he pulled his quad, so now he's not good anymore. Like, at the end of the day, we we got. Okay, am I going to are you gonna take fifteen? Are you gonna take fifteen, eight, and four, or are you gonna take twenty-two, eight, and five on a better with a, and a better defender? Jeremy, first off, he's not a better defender than Chris Paul. Chris Paul's first team All NBA defense every year. Secondly, he if you look at year. that's because he missed time. Wait, he, he missed twenty games. Chris Paul is the the reason why the Warriors struggled defensively, struggled to score the ball was a whole lot to do with Chris Paul. But with that being said, if you're looking at He's not better than Chris Paul. He ain't better than KD. He's probably comparable to, to CJ McCollum. If you look, uh, let's just, is he uh, better than he, he's he's around the same level as Jamal Murray um, for for the Nuggets? Um, you go to uh, I, I'm trying to think of the Western Conference teams. He's I I think he's better than Kuzma. He's not much better than Kuzma. Um, you you start looking at the teams. He's like an average number two player on the team. He's not like you when when. You're missing two starters out of your five. You can just be like, oh, yeah, well, you should just win. Now, look, has Anthony Davis won as much as I would like him to win? No. But he's still 25 years old. And last I checked, Kyrie Irving before LeBron got there, what you, you could say you could make an, a legit argument and say he wasn't a winner. So at the end of the day, bring him to LeBron. LeBron will help him. I think there's going to be some meshing period, but LeBron will help him to do the same thing that Kyrie eventually realized, which is, I don't need to just st- stuff the stats. I need to develop and figure out what I what what the role is so we can win, and they'll attract enough free agents to win a title. All right, so let's keep it on. Um, let's keep it on the Lakers, fellas. I think it's quite funny that uh, both of you Lakers fans have such differing opinions about uh, the future for the Lakers. But uh, speaking of future, it's been reports that Kyrie and Klay Thompson both are interested in joining uh, the Lakers with LeBron. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Kyrie, Clay, do you think uh, either one of those guys would be a good fit um, over there in L.A.? Let's start with Jeremy this time. Um, I think Kyrie would be a great fit, mainly because Kyrie is probably the most underrated basketball player in the league. I would put him in my top five list right now. Um, and I think Kyrie is what LeBron needs. LeBron needs that closer. LeBron needs that guy who can go out and shoot and knock down 45% threes at any given at any given point, shoot 50% from the field, could break down anybody on the dribble, let LeBron do a lot of the orchestrating of the offense. Although you'll see from Kyrie lately that Kyrie can run an offense, but LeBron can do what he wants to do. And then when it's not working and you can't get anything going, hey, I'm going to throw the ball to Kyrie because I know this guy, from a skill set perspective, is probably top two or three best most skilled point guards in the history of basketball. So I think if you can get Kyrie what? Irving, what you, you say? Get him. He top, top two what? or three most skilled point guards in the history of basketball. Damon, I didn't stutter. You guys, you guys got to understand. 
how good Kyrie is and how underrated he is. If I could tell you, like, what is Allen Iverson better at than Kyrie was? It's not really anything. Like, Allen Iverson wasn't better than anything than Kyrie. Maybe Duncan. I'll give him that. Uh, he was a better shooter than Kyrie. He's a Except better dribbler. He was, he was quicker. Whoa, whoa, no, no, no. He was quicker than Damon, Kyrie. Damon, Damon, Kyrie's the best dribbler of all time. Allen Iverson said it himself. Everybody has acknowledged it. Kyrie's, Kyrie's not even the best dribbler in the NBA right now. What are you talking about? Damon, Damon, that's pure nonsense. It is pure nonsense. Kyrie is literally the best ball handler of all time. Isaiah Thomas the other day was asked about Kyrie ball handling, and that some people were saying that he was the best ball handler of all time. Um, that, that Kyrie's the best ball handler of all time. And Isaiah Thomas said, I'll just say this. If you put me in the same ball handling conversation with Kyrie, I call it a privilege. If you put me in the same ball handling conversation with anybody else who's ever played basketball, I'll call it an insult. That's how good a ball handler that Kyrie is. Overall, Kyrie is a better ball handler than AI. AI wasn't, literally could not tie Kyrie's shoes in shooting. AI shot like 31% threes and like 43% from the field for his career. Kyrie's over a 40% three-point shooter. I think you, I don't think you understand. Kyrie is, is like Klay Thompson with a handle. That's what Kyrie is as a shooter. So the, the pure disrespect that is given to, to Kyrie Irving is nonsense. And, I mean, the, the guy's the truth, man. Y'all got to give him his props. All right. With that being said, uh, Jeremy's definitely high on Kyrie. I think he just left out Clay. But, uh, Jared, what do you think about Kyrie and Clay possibly joining the well, Lakers? Speaking of ball handling, Jeremy, you're very high on Kyrie right now. Oh, with that being said, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't pass that one up. Look, uh, it, it, it's Kyrie very good. I, I, I like Kyrie's game. I mean, obviously, he's very, very good. Um, but, guys, come on. I mean, let's, let's get to the point where we realize, like, all right, it, top two or three most skilled guards of all time. Like, is Kyrie more skilled than Kobe? No. Is he more skilled than Jordan? No. I said point guard. Even if you're going to point guard. Even if you I'll go to point guard. guard, like at the end of the day, like I think Kyrie's very good, but Kyrie's a very good scorer. Like, there's not a lot else that Kyrie does. Now he's a phenomenal scorer, but he's not. A, he's not an above average passer. He's definitely not an above average defender. He, like, he's not an above average rebounder. Like, there, what he does is he puts the ball in the hoop. And I, th- like, like when, when has rebounding ever been associated with point guard? That's just for point guards who can't shoot the rebound. But here, here's what I'm telling you, though, Jeremy. You can look at it and say, uh, you you can look at it and say, like how you know what how when is it ever associated with it? But I can also look at it and just say, there's if you're looking at the guards, there are guards that can rebound. There are there are a lot of guards who can go out there and get you rebounds and push the ball. So at the end of the day, I think you got to look at it and say Kyrie would be a great fit. I'm not sure he'd be a better fit than Clay Thompson. The reason is LeBron's only going to get worse as a defender moving forward because of the fact that, I mean, he's he's getting up there in age. And so if he's only going to get worse as a defender, you get a guy that that can defend. You get a guy who can shoot threes and hit open threes when he's there, can move without the ball. And I think he'd fit in nicely. Now, Kyrie would obviously, you know, him and LeBron have played together. I think the fact that uh, him and Kyrie are now getting along really well, I think would help. But – I still don't think they're a seamless fit. And what you don't want to do is have Kyrie come there and now you have and LeBron's not a liability at this point, but he, you know, and when he gets to playoffs, he may be a liability sometimes in, in the season, but you don't want to get there and you have multiple off uh, defensive liabilities where you got to outscore teams. Uh that could be a very very difficult task in the playoffs. I think they need 
I, if I was picking one of the two, I would pick Clay Thompson. Well, let me let me just throw a little, um, I guess, a little wrench in your playing for Clay Thompson. Since LeBron is getting old and he's on uh, time watch now for you know how long has he been out? Just a little, uh, almost five weeks now. So this old guy, he's not close to five. Oh, he's close to five. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's Christmas. Though, so, yeah, so we've got old man LeBron who's starting to have more and more injuries. Do I really want to throw a, on the team Clay Thompson who can't create his own shot and really can't work off the dribble? No, I really don't. Like, I need somebody who can get his own bucket. As good as Clay Thompson is at shooting, most people don't recognize the fact that Clay Thompson every other night goes five for 18 and you go, oh man, you know what? Clay Thompson went 10 for 10 tonight because Clay Thompson is awesome. But you didn't notice the other nights when Kevin Durant and Steph Curry stay consistent and Klay Thompson didn't do anything. Klay Thompson is a consistent defender as a shooter. He is not consistent. As a scorer, he is not, not consistent. Every One out of every four games, Klay Thompson will have 12 points or less. If you go back and watch the last four years, it's bound to happen. And I don't know if Klay Thompson is ready to take that kind of blame because he doesn't generally get blamed. And we all know if you play with LeBron and you don't score and you don't be, put up it's monster stats, you're going to be blamed. My comment about Paul George before also had to do with the fact that Paul George in a big game scored five points. And I know Paul George playing with LeBron is going to shrink under the pressure because if you can't play in OKC with Russell Westbrook under the pressure, in L.A. you're going to shrink like, I don't know, fingers in a pool, whatever. Anyway. What? How? What? How? Sit <laughs> like fingers in a pool? I said shrink. Shrink like fingers in a pool. Yeah, you know, fingers like raisins. Anyway, like I was saying, Kyrie oh is God. the guy that you know can play with LeBron because he's done it before. Kyrie is a guy who can play on ball. He can play off ball. He can dominate scoring-wise. He can facilitate the ball. As you've seen, he's had 11 games this, this season already with with double-digit assists. So, overall, I'm going to say if you can get Kyrie, he literally needs to be your number one priority over Anthony Davis, over everybody else. So Kyrie, obviously, in favor over Clay. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I guess we'll have to wait and uh, wait and see what really, pans really out too. Uh, between now and the trade deadline. But yeah, yeah. What, what you got another? Yeah, the other, other part is too. The reason why it should be Clay over Kyrie, as I mentioned before, Clay Thompson not only helps your team, he weakens the other team. Who's the team you got to beat? The Warriors. If you take Clay Thompson off the Warriors and you add him to yourself, it's like this. If if I'm I'm in a fight, and I'm like, and you say, okay, well, you know, you're or you're in a war with somebody, and you're like, all right, well, I can either do this, I can give you a machine gun, and you can go try to kill the the, the dude, or I can give you a nine millimeter, but I'm giving you your opponent's nine millimeter. Now he doesn't have a gun. Okay, well, cool. I would rather have his nine millimeter than to have a another gun, but he still can shoot me. What? How? What? At the end of the day, the re the way you're gonna beat what? the Warriors is gonna be to take some of their players away. <laughs> so I think that's that's the logic we should have. <laughs> uh, y'all boys, y'all dowdies, boy. Oh my god. <laughs> let's, let's, in, let's... In, that, in that analogy, you can, you can replace Clay Thompson with uh, thirty seven other people, and they they got their nine millimeter back. <laughs> All right, fellas, let, let's switch gears real fast. Let's talk about uh, what's been popping for the last two weeks, and that is the Australian Open. Uh, Djokovic came out and uh, ravaged 
uh, as uh, what's our boy from Clemson, Jared? Goron Stereotsky. <laughs> Shout out him. Uh, but yeah, so he ravaged uh, Nadal in straights. It was like three, three and one. It was it was pretty bad. Um, is it time to start putting Djokovic in this goat conversation? Let's start with Jeremy. I, I would love to hear Jeremy's. Uh, Jeremy, I, somehow he's going to try to weave his way. I'm just going to let listeners know. Jeremy's going to somehow try to weave his way into telling you guys that Rafa Nadal is the goat. So, Jeremy, you have the floor. I would like to hear <laughs> your uh, your 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 stance. I, 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 I would know. Djokovic. I would know such a thing. I, overall, what I would say is this: I think it's crazy that the three now the three most accomplished tennis players of all time play in the same era. This would be like if that's nuts. Tiger, if Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, and Arnold Palmer all played at the same time, this would be like if Michael Jordan played against Kobe Bryant, who also played against Steph Curry. I mean, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Overall, listen, I was just going to say something stupid. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, I think you got to put him in that conversation. The guy's at 15 majors. Federer's at 20. I mean, you can see this guy. Like, you can see him catch Nadal at Wimbledon. If if he's able to beat Nadal at the French Open, Nadal obviously is going to be the favorite going into the French. Nadal hardly ever loses at the French. But if Djokovic can go out and beat Nadal at the French Open, he's won back, and he'll probably he win Wimbledon. Definitely not doing that. <laughs> I hope so. Not. Uh, so I think um, you know he could definitely get in that goat conversation. I think you know it's really a lot of opinion based. To me, I've never been able to put Federer as the goat um, for very long. I did when he went to Australia a couple years ago, but the biggest reason has been. It's hard for me to call you the GOAT that when throughout your prime you've been dominated by someone else. The difference between Nadal and Federer, I will say, even though Djokovic has taken over. He has not been dominated. Nadal Nadal hasn't dominated Djokovic? I mean, uh, Federer, I mean? No. I think think he's almost three to one in matches. I mean, it's not even a big competitive. Um. No, it's not. It's pretty bad. Actually, I think he's up six matches. So, like, I think. The Feds won like the last seven in a row or something. That's what I'm talking about. No, no. Let's see. You got to understand how how big the differential is. Fed versus Nadal, head to head. I got it pulled up right now. It's it's 23 to 15. So it's gotten closer because Fed yeah Fed did win a lot the last few matches. But overall, throughout Federer's prime, he's been dominated by Nadal. Uh, on the other end, uh, you have Djokovic who has really dominated Nadal over the last couple of years. But for the majority of Nadal's prime, Nadal has, has dominated Djokovic. From a head-to-head perspective in majors, Nadal still has a pretty pretty favorable edge. I think Djokovic just took over for most in finals. But overall in majors, I think Nadal's still up 9-5, to five, and he's up 9-3 to three over Federer. So um, you can still yeah, make those yeah, same yeah, arguments. Before, before you start breezing through this, let's look at this, right? We all know that mm-hmm. Nadal is the best clay court player ever. We know that. So let's start. Mm-hmm. So hard court, Federer won. But but Clay. But you're gonna so, say hard court. Jared, Jared, keep it, Jared. Jared, before you go into this, keep in, keep in keep, mind, keep Federer track is the of how many. Time. So if you take okay, we can out, count indoors. Okay, that's fine. You can count indoors. All right, I'm, I'm, you can. It was fine. Jeremy, Jared, count how many times Nadal beats him on clay. Okay, so uh, we have a semifinals. Uh, Nadal won on clay. That's one, Jared. Uh, Nadal won on hard. Another one, Clay. Another one, Nadal Clay. Another one, Nadal Clay. 
We have Federer on grass winning. We have Federer on hard. Another Nadal clay. Federer one on one on clay. And then we have another Nadal clay. Federer grass. Nadal clay. Nadal clay. Nadal clay. Nadal grass. Nadal hard. Nadal clay. Nadal clay. Nadal clay. Nadal hard. All right, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drag you guys through this, but you get the point. Most of the matches where Rafa Nadal is beating Roger Federer is the surface that we expect him to beat Roger Federer on. That's just my whole point. He's a he's a he's a fifty percent better player than, than Federer on clay courts. We know that. And if you know tennis for the people that don't play tennis, they are two separately as two different games from hard to the clay courts of Roland Garros. But Jared, so go ahead and finish your point. Meetings, only th- out, of, out of the 38 meetings, only 15 of them have been on clay. So you're looking at a vast Only 15? Well, That's 40%. Well, well, more of them on hard. Who, who, who said hard is the... Is the is, you, said, they, you said that's like that's not 40%. That's like 35%. But anyway, if you're looking at this from a perspective, the doll has a winning record <laughs> against Federer. That's for 40%. Uh, doll has a winning record against Federer on nine indoor hard courts. So if you take the indoor out, the doll has a winning record on, on that. You can also say that Nadal went to Federer's favorite major and beat him, and Federer has never been able to come to the French to beat Nadal. You can throw that out there as well. So, uh, Jeremy, keep in mind, my percentage was uh, 39.48%. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked so, it up yeah. too. It was 39.48%. So, <laughs> here's the other part of it. Um, <laughs> has he entered the conversation? Yes, he has. Um, do I still think it's fair? Yes. I think the, funny, the funniest thing that I get is this. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy, when we talk about it, he, he brought up, you know, them in the same area, he brought up Jordan and Kobe, and then he throws stuff in there just to try to get at me. But the funny thing is, when I talked to Jeremy. And it I, triggered you because yeah, it triggered now, you. Now, I'm going to tell you why up. I brought it back Go up. Go ahead. It wasn't even about his comment. But the funny thing is, Jeremy, I said, Jeremy's like, oh, Kobe's better than LeBron. And I'm like, well, LeBron wins a higher percentage in the playoffs. He wins a higher percentage in the regular season. He scores more points per game, more rebounds per game, more assists per game, more blocks per game. And he leads in basically every category. And head-to-head, he he leads, I want to say it's 14 to 5 or something. It's something. Like he, he's up significantly on him. And Jeremy's like, five rings to three. And yet, Fed has, what, two or three more majors than Nadal? And tennis is an individual sport. where you, it, it, It's not based on anybody else helping you. It's an individual sport. And Jeremy's like, yeah, but even though it's an individual sport and Fed has a couple more rings in this case, I still think Nadal is the best because we're going head-to-head. I think that's a funny argument. But with that being said, the things about Federer, I, I said, I don't think anybody's going to beat some of the things that he's done. Is it not good that he, he has a losing record versus Nadal? It's not good. But with that being said, Federer made 28 consecutive Grand Slam semifinals. Guys, that's seven straight years of being in the semifinals of every major. That's, I think the next the next longest streak was Djokovic with eleven. He literally was. You could mark him into the semis or the finals of a major for seven straight years. Put this in perspective. He lost at the Australian Open this year in round of sixteen. They said this is the second time not reaching the Australian Open semis since '03. It's 2019. So, with that being said, that, that's a, Federer's consistency. That's a healthy stat, though. That's not a that's what? better stat. 
That's, that's a not a healthy stat. stat. Like, that's, like that, that's that's that's. Now you have to like, be healthy. You have to make the semis. It's to be now. Nobody. Can you make the semis if you're not? But healthy? Jeremy, here's the deal. If you're if you're healthy, does every person that's healthy make the semis? No, but my my point is this. One one thing I'll bring up about Nadal is who has the highest win percentage of majors they played in out of everybody and tournaments they played in. Nadal. It is not close. He's won a higher win percentage than Djokovic. He's won a higher win percentage than Federer. Federer just played way more. Djokovic just played way more, mainly because Nadal has had injuries. Overall, what I'll say is this. You brought up the Kobe versus LeBron argument. Oh, Kobe has more rings. You know what? Also, Kobe didn't jump from team to team and, and join other superstars. Also, LeBron's played with more all-stars. Also, LeBron, LeBron has played against less all-stars. Also, Kobe's beaten 24 teams and won 50 games, and LeBron has only beaten 11. So you can look at a lot of different factors that go into it as opposed to just head-to-head. What I will say about Federer is Federer got a lot of majors very early on when the competition level was very, very low. Nadal has gotten his his got his majors a lot more against Murray. The competition Jocelyn level is very, very low, like the end of Pete Sanders yeah, and Andre Axe's career. Go ahead. No, 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 He did not win it in Pete Sanders' career. He didn't win one single major until yeah. after Pete Sanders retired. He won majors when Lake Hugh was the number one player in the world, and he was going against like Marat Safin every once in a while when Marat Safin decided to win That was such a shitty era with Nabanian Safin. I'm going to put Jeremy's argument to shame. Like, what are you talking about? Jeremy, let me put your argument to shame. Fed won a major in 03. Fed won two majors in 04. 05, Nadal won his first major. So it's not like there's some gap. But Jeremy, you're acting like Nadal at 18 was still winning majors. So you can't count the wins that Nadal has in, in 05 on and then say, well, the Fed didn't have to play versus people because he had to play versus those dudes in 2000. Fed won, had, I think, four majors when Nadal won his first. So we, so out of the other 20 he's got, he won, he's won 16 since Nadal won a major. Yeah, uh, let's just go with the last points, fellas. Definitely, uh, definitely don't agree that yeah, you know, Nadal has to be somehow skewed into this conversation because we're talking about Djokovic goat status. But let's make our last points. Let's start with you, Jared. So, last point is this. It's clearly Federer at this point. Djokovic is gaining ground. I mean, his seventh Australian Open, um, and he's been right now the gold standard for the past three, four years. But um, he's got a little bit to go. I still think in tennis, tennis is a sport where I'm counting majors. And until you catch... Fed on majors. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, and last thing, you know, Jeremy mentioned basketball and still who wins rings going different places. I think tennis is one of the weird sports where you have you you have to like like we can make the argument like what Jeremy said when we said Nadal won so many of those matches on clay. I can make that and, and, and say okay, well you know look at his, his matches on heart. But you know what? I don't take that away from Nadal. Nadal won those matches he needed to win. But but Nadal being so far the greatest clay court player ever, and as Jeremy said, him having the ability to to beat Fed at Fed's favorite surface, then you know what that means? You need to catch him in rings. And until you catch him with rings, I don't want to hear a thing. That rhymed. Bars. Until you catch him with rings, I don't want to hear a thing. Straight from 85. Uh, yeah. Natural born lyricist. Jeremy, last point on the Federer. Not the Federer. Jokovic. I'm talking about Federer, but... Um, Djokovic, last point on joke, being the okay. goat. Just, just, just for perspective, Djokovic is second all time in, uh, 
in highest win percentage of majors one. Nadal has won 17 of his 55. Djokovic has won 15 of his 56. Djokovic has only missed one major since 2005. That was the U.S. Open in 2017. Um, so overall, I'll say this. You can make all those points about, oh, well, you got to catch him in majors. And I will say, okay, sure, catch him in majors. But I'll say this. Nadal's at least got three or four more French Opens in him. He'll be playing forever. Overall, what I can say is Djokovic right now is showing himself to be probably playing at maybe the highest level of all time. Um, and I think you can put him in that conversation. I will say I've got to see it over a more sustained period of time. He definitely did it for about a year. But he also had a year or almost two years where he pretty much fell off the face of the earth last year and it was ranked like 20 in the world for about a, about a full year. So what I'd like to see uh, him be able to sustain it a little bit longer. But there, there's definitely a chance for him to actually catch past Nadal and possibly pass Federer as well. So um, I just think it's amazing that we're still in this time where the three greatest players of all time are still playing together. And I look forward to seeing Nadal come back and win the French Open uh, and uh, get even closer to Federer because Federer's done. <clears throat> so disrespectful, but uh, <laughs> fellas, what – what you guys got planned for Super Bowl weekend? I know Jared. Uh, Jared has a party for little little Zozo, so the whole fam's gonna be in town. But are we hitting these streets this weekend or what? Um, what's going on? Let yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely not hitting none of these streets this weekend. Uh, three year old birthday party is going down. I would tell you to check your cheese location, but I don't want any of you creepers showing up. It's my daughter's birthday. She can party if she wants to. I'm excited about it. Hit a couple golf balls. Uh, make some bets. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a fun and interesting weekend. Um, you know, I, I just hope my win percentage on, on the golf course, you know, I, we're going to actually play and I'm going to beat Jeremy and then Jeremy's going to say about the percentage of times he hit the, he hit the green versus the amount of times I did. And even though my score is lower, you know, whatever, all I care about is the rings and things. So, uh, wow. I, right around that cut, I'm, I'm caring about the skull. So, uh, I'm about to cut Jeremy on the golf course. Damon, if Damon want to show up, we live and let's get it. So that sounds like a threat to me, Jim. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I mean, the, the likelihood of Jared beating me is the same likelihood that uh, Roby Coleman is going to be able to shut out Tom Brady in the, in the, in the Super Bowl. Um, Jared, <laughs> I would like to say thank you for having Zoe's birthday party early in the morning on Saturday in Atlanta on Super Bowl weekend with that traffic. I am personally probably going to leave at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday to avoid it. So um, <laughs> that's what I'll be doing this weekend. <laughs> so i appreciate y'all fellas that's a wrap um as always thanks to the listeners for tuning in for another to us for another week we appreciate you guys uh supporting us and telling your friends about us uh we really really do appreciate that make sure you guys tune in to us next week as well follow us on all social media facebook uh instagram uh instagram handle is a m i b r o s underscore podcast on instagram uh fellas any last words? I'm, I'm out. <laughs>